Welcome to the 68th episode of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by sports columnist Scott Osler. Scott will be in Toronto with Ann Killian and I for games one and two of the NBA Finals. Earlier this week, Scott sat down with me to preview the finals and break down Golden State's place in the hierarchy of modern NBA dynasties. We'll have our conversation right after the break. On Sunday afternoon, Scott Osler sat down with me at my apartment to preview the NBA Finals. It's an off day. The Warriors have a rare off day before the Finals. They've been practicing the past couple days. They have the day off. They're returning to practice tomorrow, possibly practicing Tuesday. They're not 100% sure, and then flying to Toronto. Scott will be with me. I think we're on the same flight, Air Canada, direct from SFO to Toronto. Tuesday morning, and then we'll be in Toronto for games one and two with Ann Killian, our colleague. Um, should be a lot of fun. Uh, what, you know, what, just first of all, before we get into pontificating about the Warriors' legacy and what a third straight title, fourth and five years, would mean for this franchise long term, what are your initial thoughts about Toronto and, and what, do you, what do you think about their chances of really pushing the Warriors in the seven game series? Well, obviously they're, they're pretty good. They they just knocked off the team with the the best record in, in basketball, and a team that put them up to was up to nothing in the in the conference finals. So that was pretty impressive, and obviously a gamer team. You know, Kawhi is just playing at such a, a high level, and they kept talking on TV. Oh, he's going to be tired. He's going to. He doesn't get tired. <laughs> he's sort of like Clay Thompson. Maybe he does get tired, but he doesn't show it because he always comes up big. He kept coming up big in the fourth quarter and everything. So I think it's going to be a worthy op- opponent. I think it's going to be great. A lot of interesting elements because it's the first time the Warriors have traveled to open the, the finals in their in this five-year run. Uh, I think it's going to be a great test. I think it's going to be fabulous. And by the way, if people knew what high-level Warrior thinking was going on now in your little apartment here in Alameda, they would be amazed. And, and also, thanks for the beer to <laughs> open this up with. Oh, no problem. No problem. Um, Kawhi Leonard, to me, is so impressive on a lot of levels, but just his competitive desire. I mean, I I like the Clay Thompson comparison in the sense that they're two of the most competitive guys in the league and they don't necessarily show it in a lot of ways. They don't, they don't celebrate or freak out and they're not as demonstrative as, as a Draymond green, but just the way he stepped up in those critical moments in the Eastern conference finals was breathtaking to watch um and he put that team on his back toronto in my opinion might be the most complete roster in the league they don't have any holes they have a great supporting cast they have a, a legit center really two legit centers in serge Ibaka and marcus soul uh they have a solid number two guy in kyle lowry they have a player who i think is going to be an absolute stud for years to come probably a most improved player of the year front runner in pascal siakam they have maybe the best backup point guard in the league and Fred Van Fleet. They have uh, some really good young guys. OG, I really like OG. Um, didn't do as much this year as I thought he would, but he's a solid piece going forward. Um, but all that being said, it's still Kawhi's team. Yeah. And when push came to shove, he put that team on his back. It was it was a sight to behold. One thing that's uh, interesting about Kawhi, I think, is that when he left the Spurs, there might have been some people because he was such a Spurs guy and he and he was such a, a 
one of the classic Spurs guys is they kind of find somebody that nobody expected to be as great as it was, and they allowed him to flower and blossom and everything. Wow, that's pretty flowery, poetic. <laughs> but um, I think there were a lot of people that weren't sure if he was going to transition to moving over from a such a team team like San Antonio has always been to Toronto, where he's going to have to be more like the not a one man show, but more of a you know take the ball and give us uh, thirty points a game. And he's changed, so it's a different role for him. But I think he's embraced it, and he's he's phenomenal. He's and it's also interesting. He's such a weird guy because you know you compare him to Clay. And they're both kind of quiet and all that stuff. But the one thing about Clay is that when you get him talking in some interviews, he's great. You know, he's a very quotable, interesting yeah. guy. He has funny things to say. Uh, half the time you, when he does his little interview sessions, he says something that, wow, that's really funny. Uh, with Kawhi, you don't get that. With Kawhi, it's like, my God, is there anybody home here? But <laughs> he gets a basketball in his hands. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's going to be a fun series. I think we're selfishly happy because we're going to Toronto in June, which I've always heard is awesome. Um, nothing against Milwaukee, but uh, I'm a big Canada fan and a big Toronto fan, so I'm 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 happy to to go to that city for a few days. But I think it's going to be cool too, just because this team means so much, not just to Toronto, but. Canada he they're really Canada's team really since Vancouver the Vancouver Grizzlies moved to Memphis years back and um this is the first time the finals will ever be in Canada um this is a franchise that's had a couple good teams over the years but until until this year couldn't couldn't get over the hump um they hadn't even made the conference finals until a couple years ago um and so this this is a long time coming for them and it and I think uh, I think that they have enough talent to at least make it interesting. Now, obviously, the big question is Kevin Durant. Uh, he's officially unlikely for game one. I can tell you right now he will not be playing in game one. Uh, that's just obvious. The guy hasn't been cleared for any on-court work. Uh, and you you know the process, Scott. Uh, you you need to be cleared for on-court work, then you, which is basically just light shooting and things like that, conditioning. Then you need to be cleared for non-contact stuff. Then you need to be cleared for contact stuff before you're ever even going to sniff the court in an NBA game. So he has a lot of work to do to get on the court, and he's not going to play game one. I can almost guarantee you he's not going to play game two. Best case scenario, they're looking at game three, but that even seems like a long shot right now. Um, what do you think about – the Warriors' chances, uh, hypothetically, if Durant doesn't play at all. Well, their chances are still great. I think one area would hurt him was on defense because he is, uh, you know, he's not on the all-defensive first team or anything like that, or even second team, I guess. But he's he's a good defender. He's a good rim, rim protector. He's a smart player, and uh, and he's long, and he, he can take a turn on Kawhi. And I think that... That's where they're going to miss him. Uh, I think what would be interesting, What if let's here's a hypothetical for you. Let's say the Warriors get up 2-0 or 3-0, and Durant is maybe, is he, is he quite ready to come back? We're not sure. Is he going to want to come back if they're up 2-0 or 3-0 and with the chance of, number one, that he could they could lose a game, and then it would be, oh, see, Durant comes back and they lose. And also that what if he comes back and, and you know, guts it out, plays kind of not fully healed, and re-injures himself going into possible free agency and, you know, may, maybe hurts his future. So that's another factor, right? 
No, it's a, it's an interesting factor for sure. Um, I honestly think that they should win regardless. Um, but I agree with you that it would help to have Durant, um, not just, not just defensively. Uh, I do think he's, he'd be a good option on Kawhi. I think they, the good thing for the Warriors is that they have a couple options on Kawhi. I don't think you're ever going to stop Kawhi, but I think the Warriors have as many options as, as any team in the league. They have, uh, KD, if he's healthy, they have Clay Thompson, they have Andre Iguodala, they have Draymond if they need him. Um, though I do think they'll probably put Draymond more on Pascal Siakam. Um, but I think where they really need or could use Durant and notice how I catch myself there. Cause I don't think the Warriors need Durant, <laughs> uh, which sounds crazy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they need him. I think the past couple of weeks have shown that, but I think they could benefit from having him and, uh, spe- especially offensively, um, the war, the, the Raptors are really good defensively. Uh, they had the fifth best, I believe defensive rating in the regular season. I think they were, top two with Milwaukee in the playoffs uh, entering the Eastern conference finals. And so they can shut you down and uh, there's going to be times where if they're stagnating, they might need an offensive bailout. And that's obviously what Durant provides. That being said, I, st- I the Warriors are still favored heavily to win this series, even without him. And I think they should be uh, given their pedigree, given how well they've been playing, given that Steph Curry is on one right now. Uh, you're writing today about what these finals mean for Steph Curry's legacy. And I don't want to give too much away before your story comes out, but uh, what, what, what do you think is the significance of these finals for him? Well, for one thing, it probably shouldn't matter what he does in this series. He could average three points a game and he should still be considered one of the greatest players of all time. But uh, the fact is that, the one thing he hasn't done is been named. He's been to four straight finals, right? And this would be his fifth. He has never been named MVP of the finals. And that, that's kind of a big deal. And when people talk about legacies and stuff, that's one of the things that has to be mentioned, right? You got to mention his unanimous, and unanimous MVP, back-to-back MVPs, <clears throat> his great performances and all that stuff. But, well, okay, he's, but he's never been in the final show. He's never been the guy. And uh, I think that would just absolutely cement his his legacy if he were to pull that off of course there's always a chance they win the thing he averages they they sweep toronto he averages 37 points a game and uh draymond has a great series and draymond squeaks in with the mvp on a sympathy vote or i guess but that probably won't happen but uh yeah actually i thought uh curry should have been mvp of the last last year's finals and it, i thought it was very close and uh Durant had a great series but i thought curry actually was more instrumental in the, in the win last year. But uh, regardless, you got to have that award. And if he gets it this year, it'll be huge for him. I do think there's kind of a collective desire among media members to see Curry get that because it is the one thing he's missing on his resume. And I think there are a lot of people like yourself who feel like he not got robbed last year, but that he at least had a strong case for it. And so I do think if he's even in the – running for it he'll probably win it um because it he kind of deserves it you know like the thing about finals mvp is yeah you're 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 you win it for what you do in the series but there is just a human element to it when there's voting there is kind of a body of work and 
I think the fact that he has done so much to help Warriors get to this point without Durant is only going to help his chances of winning the finals MVP. Yeah. And by the way, tell the folks how the vote comes down, who votes. <clears throat> I know that voting is done in a hurry at, in the deciding game towards the end. You might even have to have your ballot in before the end of the game. I'm not sure, but uh, tell people who votes and, and how it works. Yeah. So there's like a, there's a panel. There aren't that many people who vote. I believe it's like 10, 10 or less people who vote. Um, and it's national media members and then one representative from each media contingent for each team. So two years ago, I was the representative for the Warriors media, and I voted, obviously, for Durant. Um, and the way they do it is they pass out they pass out like a little a little piece of paper right at the end of the clinching game. You know, it's like maybe midway through the third quarter and it's hard because you know we're all jamming on deadline got running game stories we also have to think about who we're gonna vote for uh for finals mvp but i remember the last so they they switch it every year so two years ago it was me last year was mark medina from the mercury news i wouldn't be surprised if this year it was like anthony slater or something uh from the athletic um but I was sitting right next to Mark and they passed it to him and he and I were kind of debating over whether or not it should be Curry or Durant because it was a real debate. Uh, he ended up going with Durant. Um, but you know, it, 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 it's kind of that it's that on the fly. I mean, it's literally like beginning of the fourth quarter into the third quarter of the deciding game. And like I said, we're all busy writing and stuff. So you kind of need to have the hay in the barn in terms of your decision. Probably at that point, you can't be like, you can't be spending like 10, 15 minutes pouring over that ballot. Um, so yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be really interesting, but you know, from a, from a broader lens perspective, uh, this finals is really interesting because as we've talked about before, uh, this summer is this upcoming summer is going to be the most important free agency period in franchise history. Uh, nine free agents. Obviously we all know about Durant, Clay Thompson, DeMarcus cousins, and then a bunch of role guys. Um, so much is going to change and you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you got to think that the Warriors are still going to be very competitive going forward, but this could be the last year that they're they're prohibitive, you know, title favorites. And so, the question is, uh, what does what would a third straight title and a fourth straight fourth title in five years mean for the Warriors' legacy, and where would that put them among the pantheon of modern dynasties? Now, I say modern dynasties because I don't want to include the 1960s Celtics in this conversation, as I wrote a few days ago, things were so different back then. It's so hard to compare. They, there was no free agency. There were eight teams in the league when Bill Russell started out. There were 13 teams in the league when he finished. They pretty much just rode Bill Russell's career and then added some good, you know, compliments throughout his career. But it was just so different. Uh, there, there you could a guy couldn't leave unless he was traded basically or cut so it's so much harder to maintain a dynasty in the modern era and uh so i i i want to focus on that so the teams that should be in conversation here right are the 1990s bulls the showtime lakers the 1980s celtics the bird celtics um 
the Spurs, uh, late late nineties, early two thousand Spurs, and you can also maybe throw in the early two thousands Lakers, who were the last team to to threepeat. So Scott, I know you don't have the numbers in front of you, but you know you know the league as well as anyone. You know the history of the league. Right now, where do you think? without having won a third straight title yet, but knowing that they're entering their fifth straight finals, where do you think the Warriors rank among those dynasties today? Well, off the top of my head, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say towards the bottom, I'm going to say they need this, this title to, to jack them up maybe to the, maybe to one or two, to one or two spot right now. That that's how big this title would be. Um, San Antonio, gets huge props for longevity. And and for the fact, I think one way San, San Antonio is unique is their dynasty was, it was like Tim Duncan centered, but it wasn't just Tim Duncan. It was it was the Admiral before him. And when Tim Duncan was kind of winding down, it wasn't the dominant player he was once before. It was guys like Kawhi Leonard. And so it was more of a, a whole team and organization and coach kind of thing, whereas the other ones were more, more so one superstar, Magic, and Jordan and so forth. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I I am actually full disclosure writing about this today. It'll be in our preview section. Um, so I've done a little bit of research, and from what I can tell, I feel like the Warriors should be on par right now with the Bird Celtics um, in terms of what they've accomplished. I think that if they win this title they should they could maybe jump up a notch and be in in the same conversation as the showtime lakers and i still think they're a couple years out from being in the same conversation as the bulls the thing that you have to keep in mind is that all these teams except for the early 2000s lakers have had about an eight to nine year run where they were contenders or the team and so the Warriors are still a good three to four years away from having that longevity. And as you know, dynasties are all about longevity. Um, but in terms of what they've co- accomplished in a five-year span, I think it's as impressive as anything that any other team has done outside of maybe the Showtime Lakers and the Bulls. The Bulls, as you know, won six titles in eight years. So they're not there yet. Um, the bird Lakers or sorry, the bird Celtics and the Showtime Lakers didn't really have to contend with free agency. I know the Oscar Robertson rule had been in effect, but in terms of actual unrestricted free agency, that wasn't a thing until 1988 with Tom Chambers, as you know, going from Seattle to Phoenix. And that really got the whole thing, the whole ball rolling because he had so much success with Phoenix and, and took him to the conference finals his first year. And that opened everyone's eyes to, wow, like, this could be a real thing. Um, and so that was after the sh- the Showtime Lakers and after the Bird Celtics. Um, so it's kind of it kind of is a different era uh, in some respect. I, I know we've been talking about the modern dynasty, but we're talking modern, modern dynasty. I'm not <laughs> sure you can really include them. Uh, but for the sake of argument, um we can keep them in the conversation. The one, the one team that's kind of hard to quantify in my opinion is the Spurs uh, because their big thing was they were just so solid for so long. Um, And so they didn't necessarily have like that dominant run. I mean, they had several titles within like a seven year span, I believe from from late 
1990s or early 2000s, but they weren't necessarily as dominant in a short burst as the Bulls or the, the Showtime Lakers or even these Warriors. But the Warriors are aspiring to be the Spurs, as they've said many times. They want to have the type of run that the Spurs had. They know that they're not going to win the title every year or be favored to win the title every year, but they want to be contenders. And how achievable of a goal do you think that is for the Warriors? Well, for one thing, going back to San Antonio, just a minute, a couple of reasons I think they deserve huge respect is one, it's San Antonio. And people talk about destination teams that people want to go to and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> that's really low on the list. People used to say Golden State. Oh, nobody wants to go to Golden State. But it wasn't because it wasn't a great town and stuff. So the fact that they were able to to build it in that little small town and also the fact that they sort of pioneered the whole uh, getting foreign players. They they mined that, that mine better than, earlier and better than any other team. So I think they deserve extra credit for that. And I'm sorry, what was your question again, Con? Just basically, you know, how do you feel – about their chances of, of achieving that goal of being the next Spurs? I think the chances are great. Uh, I think their chances of winning this series are great. And in terms of carrying on, they have some huge, a couple of huge elements. They have Steve Kerr, who has been, I know there are some people out there who think he just rolls out the basketballs and, and gives nice, friendly, chatty press conferences. It goes a, a whole lot deeper than that. So they have him. They have Steph Curry, which is... I even people close to this and follow it. I don't think fully appreciate not only what he does on the court, but what he does off the court and what a, a kind of a glue guy and what a character guy and what a bedrock of this franchise he's been. And, and also they have, you know, they have clay, they have Draymond who's now I'm thinking they got to give him a max contract now after what he's done in the playoffs. So if they bring him back, that's a pretty, that's a pretty strong foundation. Whether, whatever KD does probably would go, but, how how would you not like them going into the next year with that foundation? Even if they lose, say, Iguodala, which would be a big loss. I think they have enough in the tank and or they have enough of a core to be relevant for at least another, let's say, four to five years um, because Steph is now 31. Uh, Clay's, I think, 29. Draymond's 28. So they have at least another four years. Um, yeah, two, let me, two factors in there. One is that I, I think we have to mention the ownership and management. Uh, Joe Lacob, whatever you think about Joe, I don't know. Some people like him, some people don't. He's, but he is, he is willing to listen and, and absorb good basketball advice, I believe. And he's reasonably knowledgeable in the game and knows how to run an organization. And he's willing to spend the money. In other words, he's a good, really, really top-level NBA owner in terms of what you need. For instance, just one quick example, Andre Iguodala. Uh, I think a lot of teams would have let him walk last year when he, when he, when he, uh, when they renegotiated when he was a free agent. Uh, he just, his asking price was really ridiculous. It was crazy, and a lot of teams would have said, "I'm sorry, you're a great player, we love you, but that you're just out of your mind asking that that, that kind of money." And like a blinked. And then he said, okay, here's the checkbook. So I think that they have that going for him. Yeah, which is part of why I think there is a chance maybe they'll sign Draymond to a max. And they're definitely going to sign Clay to a max, as they should. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because the, what really separated the Spurs, as you talked about, was 
their ability to mine talent from overseas and find guys late in the draft because what's so hard to maintain a dynasty is when you're good, you don't have the, the lottery picks. You don't have the assets to to accumulate those lottery picks. You know, you're not going to part with Steph to get the number one pick in the draft. You're just not going to do that. Um, so you have to be able to find value late in the draft, and it's so hard to do that. I mean, if you look at... If you look at the history of like the number 28 through 30 picks, which is kind of the range that the Warriors are going to be drafting in long term, almost no one good comes from those picks. I mean, I'm not saying it never happens, but the 28th pick, which the Warriors had last June, the only good player that's come from that pick in the past two decades, and by good I mean more than a role guy, is Tony Parker. And so people are giving Jacob Evans a hard time because he's not playing and he looks like a bust, blah, blah, blah. Can he really be a bust at 28? I mean, even if he doesn't last past this contract, it's like a lot of guys in that spot don't last past that contract. Um, I think the Warriors have already gotten good value uh, later in the draft. I mean, you look at um, Kevon Looney at 30. A couple years ago, people were saying, oh, that was a bad pick. That's looking like a pretty darn good pick right now at 30. Yeah. Like he's a guy who Steve Kerr has said is a cornerstone of the franchise, wants to be long be around long term. He's gonna be in the league at least 10 to 12 years. I mean, he's he's so solid. That's the type of guy you want to get at 30. Um, Damian Jones still has a lot of upside, started a lot of games this year. At 30, that's not a bad pick. Jordan Bell, 38. You know, the way he's turned things around in the playoffs, that's not a bad pick. Um, at 38 obviously we know Draymond was 35 so if the Warriors can continue to not necessarily you know get all these you know superstar guys but get just solid complimentary guys who can play a spot and play a role in the rotation and get Alfonso McKinney guys yeah who was a guy who was not just undrafted but he wasn't even (laughs) Like, his name wasn't even in the draft pool. Like, he didn't even have a draft party. Like, he went to his college teammate, Kuiper Sykes, who was a higher, bigger prospect than him. He went to his draft party. Um, so, uh, yeah, finding just unearthing gems like that is going to be so key. Um, and what they do eventually need to do is they need to hit on someone late in the draft who's going to be transcendent, which is what's really hard to do. Because what – Spurs did is they hit on Kawhi Leonard at like I forget what I think it was like 16 um it was out of the lottery and to get on a guy like that that's what they need to do to really keep this going long term it sounds easy yeah just find another Draymond Green or Kawhi Leonard yeah easy right (laughs) because those that happens all the time um but that being said one thing that was interesting about the East Finals was if you look at the top players in the East finals, all of them were drafted outside the lottery. Giannis was 15th pick. Um, I believe Kawhi was 16 or something like that. Uh, mid first round. And then uh, Pascal Siakam was late first. Um, Marcus soul was second round. Uh, Kyle Lowry, I believe was late first. Uh, like literally all of them. Uh, Fred Van Fleet was not even drafted. So that that to me was a good example of you, you know 
you, you can find so much value late in the draft. It's not an exact science. Yeah. And by the way, talking about the Eastern Conference Finals, one thing that struck me is because I probably hadn't seen enough of Giannis this season. I obviously read about him a lot and and know about him. But seeing him over this series, you get a chance to see him more in action at a high level of competition and everything. And he is phenomenal. <clears throat> He's a phenomenal athlete. Did some great things. He was whatever, twenty six and and twelve rebounds or something like that. So you can't say he had a bad series. But what one thing that struck me is that he uh, is not Kevin Durant. <laughs> People compare him to Kevin Durant. And how many times did Giannis attack the middle and get triple teamed and get tied up and get all? That? And you don't see KD doing that. So KD right now, of course, he's got what ten or eleven years in the league, but he's not only just a, a smarter player than Giannis. But in some ways, more, more graceful and more more of a basketball player. And Giannis obviously has some growing to do and can, can bet, get better. But I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, well, boy, Giannis is a much better player than Durant. But to me, it's it's kind of the opposite. Uh, <laughs> that it, it just gave me a, a deeper appreciation for Durant, not only his his smarts, but his just his physical ability, the uh, um, amazing things he does. Bob Myers had a really good quote at a... At a kind of a seminar a couple months ago and he was talking about the difference between the playoffs and the regular season. And he basically said, they're not, it's like not even the same sport. I mean, it's just so different on so many levels. Um, And I think you should, you should truly, you should measure greatness in the playoffs. And what you're seeing with someone like Giannis is he's going to be MVP. I think I'm almost sure he's going to be MVP because he had a phenomenal regular season, led him to the best record in the league. I think he deserves MVP because it technically is a regular season award. But you see in the playoffs how much he still has to improve. I mean, he's too one-dimensional, I think, to tr- to take his team to a title right now because when he he's, goes up against someone like Kawhi, who's a basketball savant, phenomenal defender, he can zero in on... Giannis's strengths and stop him and what makes Durant so impossible is that Durant can do it all he can hit threes he can hit the mid-range he can hit he can dunk I mean he can he can do it all um he has that fadeaway uh that fadeaway jumper that's literally impossible to defend um and Giannis doesn't have as many dimensions I mean he's way younger I think he'll he'll improve he'll add I'm sure this summer he's gonna go He's going to go into the offseason very motivated and probably add a couple wrinkles to his game. But he's going to need to, to truly be one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. Well, KD is just, again, it was reinforced by watching Giannis. KD is just the one of the ultimate ballet guys. Just the the grace and the, the moves he has and the, the, the feel for the game is just, it's incredible. And, you know, we're going to miss him. <laughs> again, he might be the luxury, the team... They, he might be a luxury rather than a, a, a necessity on this team, but uh, he's phenomenal to watch. It's great to watch him in action. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun in Toronto. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if any listeners have a ton of experience in Toronto. If you do, please shoot us um, restaurant wrecks or bar wrecks or just your favorite haunts. Uh, we're going to be there for a few days. I have only been to Toronto three times and every time was in February or in the, in the heart of the winter when it was like minus 10 to 15 degrees. And so I've enjoyed what I've experienced in Toronto, but I haven't actually gotten a chance to, 
fully experience it because it's been so darn cold. So I'm looking forward to actually being there in June and it'll be nice and we can actually go experience it a little bit. So um, please shoot us all your recs. But as always, stay locked and loaded at sfchronicle.com. Scott has been doing great work and has been doing great work. Uh, we've also gotten a lot of help from Ron Krojcik, Rusty Simmons. I've been really proud of the work that we have done. Um, so please, please read us. And uh, we will be there in Toronto providing all of your finals needs. And by the way, if you happen to see us on the plane, if you're on the plane to Toronto with, with us, uh, feel free to send us a drink. I want to thank Scott Oster for joining me on the podcast. It's always fun chatting warriors with him. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.